Welcome back everybody to The Luke Beasley Show. It's great to be with you as always. Uh, another week to get into, I'm looking forward to it. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into our first story. Kamala Harris gave an interview over the weekend to uh, Chuck Todd for Meet the Press. And there's a few interesting moments I wanna look at from it, but I think especially the first clip I'm gonna show you just reveals how a lot of the political expertise that I kind of thought Kamala Harris had earlier in her career and even maybe the beginning of her presidential run is just gone now. And she's just really not great in these types of settings. And it's disappointing because you would think whenever Biden a lot of times has that similar struggle of communicating that Kamala Harris would be able to fill in as kind of someone who can speak on behalf of the administration. But we've seen clearly that's not the case. Uh, so the first moment I'm going to show you is her answering for the Democratic Party's actions in supporting extremist candidates in some of these uh, races for the Republican Party uh, nomination. So what the Democratic Party has done is gone, look, this uh, candidate running in the GOP primary, so trying to get the Republican nomination is really extreme uh, and maybe wouldn't do good in a general election. So we're going to support them so that whenever they run against the Democrat, uh, if they end up getting the nomination, then we'll lose to the Democrat. As we've discussed, though, what you're doing is helping a more extreme candidate. And if they end up winning, you're in a really bad spot because now that more extreme candidate is in power. But then you think, well, what if it uh, sets up a situation where the Democratic Party sweeps all of those elections? Then was it worth it? Uh, but I do think from kind of a principled moral standpoint, it's a little a little icky. So she's asked about that and just does not answer it effectively. I didn't think at all. I'm curious when you see the Democratic Party and some parts of the party funding ads to promote some of these election deniers in primaries, whether it's Michigan, the high profile race there, Illinois, Colorado, New Hampshire. It looks like a cynical, you know, a little bit cynical. And the president went out of his way to say there, there are good Republicans here. Should you leave the good Republicans alone in a primary? Should, is, the, is the Democratic Party making a mistake here by, by you know, those people could win. If you're not careful. I mean, listen, I'm not going to tell people how to run their campaigns. Uh, you know, I, I ran in terms of statewide office. Would you have I done ran, this? I so ran, would you have done this? Is this in your, is this something I, you'd be I'm comfortable I'm not going to tell people how to run their campaigns, Chuck. I ran for a statewide, for attorney general, re-election, won both times for Senate, won that race. And I know that it is best to, to, to let a candidate along with their, their advisors, let them make the decision based on what they believe is in the best interest of their state. I'm not going to tell people what You're to do. You're not worried that, way. that this reflects poorly on the Democrats. I think that what we have to focus on is that in 60 days as of this interview, in less than two months, we are looking at a okay. midterm election. So, <clears throat> Especially when you are in a moment where your president is very effectively and honestly and I think in a great show of leadership calling out the danger that the part of the Republican Party that is MAGA, that is quite large, uh, represents to our democracy, uh, you should tread lightly in supporting candidates who are election deniers, right? If you're going out of your way to call out election deniers and then over there supporting them in primaries so that you can run against them and hopefully win. That does seem hypocritical and takes a little bit of the air out of your sails because how it could be posed is clearly you don't think it's that big of a threat if you're okay rolling the dice on them possibly getting in Congress just because you think it would make your election easier. Uh, so I like that question by Chuck Todd and I think 
this I'm just really sensitive to the annoying politician answer on stuff, even though she's doing what we see tons of politicians do, which is just not really address the question and say, I'm going to stay out of it. Yeah, but he asked from your perspective, do you support, would you do that? Um, in a hypothetical situation, would you be okay doing that? And I wish some of those people would say, listen, that's their race, so they're going to do what they're going to do, or that's the Democratic Party uh, fundraising apparatus's decision. I would never support that. Something like that, I think, uh, would be more honest. But here's another moment where uh, Kamala Harris is speaking to the illegitimacy of the Supreme Court uh, and how people have lost trust in it. We have some polling that shows confidence in the Supreme Court at its lowest level that we've measured in over 20 years. Um, how much confidence do you have in the Supreme Court? I think this is an activist court. What does that mean? It means that we had an established right for almost half a century, which is the right of women to make decisions about their own body as an extension of what we have decided to be the privacy rights to which all people are entitled. And this court took that constitutional right away. And we are suffering as a nation because of it. That causes me great concern about the integrity of the court overall, especially as someone who my life was inspired by people like Thurgood Marshall. Okay. Uh, I think she handled that one better. Obviously, I agree with the statement of they went against that important president, took away rights, and that's obviously going to cause people to trust that institution less. But a little bit different than some people, a lot of people on the left, I would say, is where I stand on this. While I recognize and totally agree with that, at some point, there is, even though it's not at all a democratic institution, there is a heavy democratic influence on the Supreme Court because who chooses who's going to be on the Supreme Court? The president and then the Senate um, as well. You know, the Senate confirms them. And so I think pretending like they're going to be completely separate from politics is silly. And we've just seen clearly the Republican Party prioritize the Supreme Court and prioritize uh, the levers of power within it and getting people in there who agree with their positions more effectively. The Republican Party has done that more effectively, unfortunately, for uh, the country. And so I think it's not so much the institution that is whatever you want to call it, illegitimate, um, you know, doesn't have integrity. It's not so much that the Supreme Court as an institution, the way that it's designed, doesn't, because that's what you kind of mean when you say an institution, right? It's obviously the people within it don't agree with broader uh, American positions, uh, or the positions of America broadly. And so as much as we want to pretend that a Supreme Court justice is just able to look at the law and blah, 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 it's not true. Everyone has uh, their own biases, their own beliefs, uh, and their own ambitions for the country. And while people who are very well-versed in the law should be able to separate some from that when analyzing uh, the Constitution and different cases, no one can do it completely. And the Constitution is vague enough where you're going to have to make some determinations. Absolutely. And I think us recognizing as a country that's the case and then moving forward and understanding it's import important we get representatives into positions of power who can affect who's on the Supreme Court uh, and get people in there who are more in line with our values is what we should be doing instead of pretending like the entire institution 
is completely broken and should be tossed out, right? Um, instead, we need to work harder to make sure they don't get the type of people that got on the Supreme Court. I mean, that's why the 2016 election of Trump was so important, because Trump ended up putting three people on the Supreme Court. And that's pretty much, that is why Roe v. Wade was overturned. And uh, I think for a long time, the Democratic Party has not concerned themselves with the Supreme Court as much as they should have, uh, including kind of the voters' mindset on it. Okay, and then the final moment I want to show you from this interview is she was asked, would indicting Trump be too divisive? Would it divide the country? Uh, and here's her answer. All right. In that regard. But let's, let me, let me try to go to 60,000 feet. What do you say to the argument that it would be too divisive for the country to prosecute a former president? I think that um, our country is a country that has gone through different periods of time where um, the unthinkable has happened um, and where there has been a call for justice and justice has been served. And um, I think that's potentially um, going to always be the case in our country that people are going to demand justice, and, and they rightly do. So I, I don't know so much about that answer. Just say that if he committed crimes, uh, he should be held accountable. No one's above the law, that type of language, because the, the demanding of justice from people is less important unless there was something to hold someone accountable for, right? Like if broadly America wants Trump to be prosecuted, that shouldn't really mean too much. Uh, it should only matter what he has done, what can be proven that he's done, and then he should be held accountable, which obviously I think he should. And even though it's a bummer that this will be a divisive event, uh, it absolutely needs to happen. Maggie Haberman is releasing a new book, and there seems to be some wild, wild uh, information coming out of it, specifically about Trump's final days in the White House and his beliefs at that time. So I'll show you this breakdown on CNN about this, but it is just unbelievable what this man thought that he could do, what he was going to try to do, and his mindset at the time. There are. Now, according to Maggie's reporting, in those final days, Trump insisted he would not be leaving the White House. Now, this left aides confused and uncertain as to what he would do next. New revelations on the final days of former President Donald Trump's presidency. In reporting provided to CNN from a forthcoming book by New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman, Trump repeatedly told aides following his election loss that he would refuse to leave the White House. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. And frankly, frankly we, we did win this election. Haberman's book, Confidence Man, The Making of Donald Trump and the Breaking of America, reports that Trump told one aide, quote, I'm just not going to leave. And saying to another, quote, we're never leaving. How can you leave when you won an election? Trump's insistence that he would not leave the White House has never been previously reported and shines a new light on the chaotic final days of his administration. Haberman writes of a shift in Trump's private comments on the election loss. In the immediate aftermath of the 2020 presidential election, Trump seemed to recognize the loss. He comforted one advisor saying, we did our best, and told junior press aides, I thought we had it, seemingly almost embarrassed by the outcome. If the Electoral College does elect President-elect Joe Biden, are you not going to leave this building? Just so you, uh, certainly I will. Certainly I will. And you know that. But I think that there will be a lot of things happening between now and the 20th. 
of January. A lot of things. So this we're going to keep playing because it's just so fascinating and historic. But uh, Trump definitely right after the election kind of recognized what happened. And then and this is debated and I don't have 100 percent on it, but I think he talked himself into the lie. I think he at this point maybe has a inkling of a thought that it's not true, but genuinely has deluded himself into believing he actually won. But at some point, Trump's mood shifted, and he was heard saying he would not leave. He was even overheard asking Republican National Committee Chair Rona McDaniel, why should I leave if they stole it from me? So we'll stop it there, but wild stuff. A president of the United States, of course, this is just reporting from aides around him, so this isn't something that could be used in a court of law, um, but understanding that what we saw publicly lines up with that. We saw this shift in attitude. We saw him stop using language that would indicate he was going to leave um, or that he did lost, uh, lose, obviously. Uh, and it's just so dangerous that we had a president of the United States who genuinely wanted to stay in the White House when he lost an election. Guys, that is, I know we talk about it all the time on the show, but the more information that comes out, the more of a scary picture that is depicted. That is uh, democracy ending type behavior because the reason why that didn't work for him is he didn't have enough people behind him in the government to make that happen, right? Um, but if he genuinely had that intention of staying in the White House through whenever the next president was supposed to be inaugurated and he had the support of more people in government, that could have happened. Um, and I don't know what processes would have had to take place to physically remove them. We've talked about this. Who takes, who does that? Circuit service, uh, the military, not something we've ever dealt with before. So there wasn't a clear answer to that question, but it was a scary thought nonetheless. And so seeing now that behind the scenes, Trump was believing, uh, things that lined up with the statements he was making publicly is fascinating because I thought I would flip back and forth, but sometimes I would think Trump's just trying to put this out there to continue making his followers think that he won so that he could stay relevant and not be seen as a loser. But if he's behind the scenes going, they stole it from us, so I'm staying in the White House. We're not leaving. We can't leave because we won this election. That's real delusional type behavior and very, very scary as I continue to use that word because that's the one that keeps coming to my head. What else uh, describes a president who genuinely thought that he could and wanted to attempt to stay in power after he lost an election. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the threat to democracy that Biden and tons of people have been screaming about um, for the last few weeks, especially. Please believe it wherever you stand politically that there is a real threat posed and we can't survive as a democratic uh, country the continuation of this type of behavior uh, in the position of power, such as the president. Something honestly disturbing has happened. The average of polling from Real Clear Politics, based on a new recent poll that has come out, brought it up the, this average number to where Herschel Walker in Georgia running for Senate against Raphael Warnock is now narrowly winning in the average of polls against Raphael Warnock. I, but, so we'll just kind of walk through a little bit Here's a recent interview from Herschel Walker, because um, I we just need to discuss what the heck is going on. Here's Herschel Walker on a Sunday uh, interview, and it just shows he doesn't honestly have a clear platform or a clear understanding of where we want to take the country and all those things. 
Uh, but here's him kind of rambling through a bunch of different talking points. Herschel Walker joins me right now. Herschel, it's great to see you. Thank and of course, after we look at this moment, we'll go take a look at the polling. Thanks very much for being here this morning. Hey, thank you for having me on, Maria. Yeah, and we've been talking about September 11th and the great leadership of the first responders. Uh, we uh, are also looking ahead to why we need to see a change in policy, Herschel. Assess the situation today, 21 years after September 11th, and what you want to see change in terms of policy there in Georgia. Well, you know, you got to pay tribute to uh, the 9-11 victims, uh, you know, but also you saw America come together. You saw America come together because this country was, uh, you know, it was uh, on the war with uh, a country that didn't believe in us. And right now we have uh, leaders in Washington like Joe Biden doing venomous. So it wasn't against a country that didn't believe in us. It was a terrorist organization, but okay. Speeches that doesn't believe in American people. He tried to separate us. And I'm running so I don't know what that transition was. So we used to be united. Uh, let me back it up. Joe Biden doing venomous up, speeches uh, on the war with uh, a country that didn't believe in us. And right now we have uh, leaders in Washington like Joe Biden doing venomous speeches. What was that connection of thoughts? That was so weird. That doesn't believe in American people. He tried to separate us. And I'm running against uh, Senator Warnock. Who's another one that says, you know, white people got to apologize for it. whiteness. America got to apologize for it. whiteness. You know, you're trying to separate people because you're looking for a vote. Someone send me a clip of Raphael Warnock saying that, you know, white people need to apologize for their whiteness. <laughs> That's why I've been encouraging people getting out campaigning, letting people know that we're not racist, bad people that right now we got to come together. Right now, you were speaking about it earlier. China is our enemy. Russia is our enemy. And if we continue to separate people, uh, we're not going to be able to defend ourselves. You know, in the Bible, it says a house divided cannot stand. And I, that seemed to be what Raphael Warnock and Joe Biden want to do is separate the people. Well, I want to bring us together because we're good people. We can get things done. We can get it done together. And that's the reason I'm running. So here's the deal. This is what we see a lot of times from Republican candidates these days. There's not much of a policy prescription there. Okay, we need to unite the country. How? Because uh, Biden said the same thing, and you're saying that he's not uniting the country. So how? Uh, and him calling out the anti-democratic actions of a particular movement within the country is absolutely what he should be doing. Uh, we can't just sit by while people deny election results and try to undermine our election processes, and then Trump directly trying to stay in power while he was president. No, we're not just going to sit by. So if that's divisive, I'm sorry, but that's what has to happen when you have this type of threat posed to our democratic process. But then the uh, question that she posed kind of right after the 9-11 uh, question was about how you want to move the country forward. And it was that you want to stop saying we're a racist country and unite us. How, what, what are we talking about? What policies do you have any meaningful material change you want to make uh, for the country or for the state of Georgia? No. So you can see here now the average from real clear politics based on multiple uh, polls has Walker up by a 0.5 margin. Very, very thin, but still up. As you can see, um, previously, Warnock was consistently up in the polls, and now Walker has taken the lead. So I honestly don't know what to say about this, except for it's deeply upsetting 
to see someone like Raphael Warnock losing in the polls as of now to Herschel Walker, someone who both can't really effectively communicate his positions, but also the positions he has communicated aren't good. Um, so why you would want someone who's clearly not fit to be in that position in there, I don't know. Hopefully Georgia voters tune into that by election day. Uh, but scary, scary stuff. I have a moment from Bill Maher's show uh, where he's at first definitely correctly and accurately pushing back on one of his guests who was sort of equivocating between Trump and MAGA's anti-democratic actions and then the handful of liberals who have, or even if it's a lot, just liberals who have said Trump's an illegitimate president or Stacey Abrams feeling like her election wasn't fair and making a comparison between those pretending like they're equal in any way, which as we discussed um extensively in the segment that I recently released called What About Hillary? What About Hillary? <laughs> which go watch that if you wanted to uh, see what I broke down there. But pretty much the summary is Trump and his movement was saying we shouldn't be taken out of power and we are the rightful president. We don't concede this election, all those things. The most people did over here was just feel like an election wasn't fair or something like that, but they all conceded and all those things. So uh, they're discussing that, but then Bill Maher gets into something that I have more to say about, uh, as you'll see here. Um, there are lies on the Democratic side, too, mm -hmm. sometimes. If you think about what are the traits that we don't want to see, then guest. look to yourself and anybody's faction. I, I'm libertarian with a small L. It's a small little faction. People in, on that team, too, yeah. can engage in this and call it out. There's a lot of election denial in the Democratic Party, depending on if you lose. Stacey Abrams was not a gracious uh, loser in the Georgia race a couple of years ago, All and right. she's revered as a hero on the left, largely. There's right. a lot of political violence in this country I'm, on the left. It's not the same, but it's worth talking about. If is, those values matter to you, you that, work back from the value. I, I don't know why a smart guy like you would go there. Uh, I yeah, the, the two things he brought up, the denial of elections is not even close. Nothing. No. Zero. Zero comparison. <laughs> uh, the political violence is also we've seen time and time again when it's researched heavily, disproportionately, uh, magnificently more on the right as far as political violence um, in America. So those two points just have absolutely hold no water. And I, as a big fan of you, I just think there's so many other things. And you're right, too. It is false equivalence. The, the, the Republicans are more dangerous. But again, do you want to win or do you want to win points? Yeah, but it, and then to your, sorry, to your point, like, please, Al Gore conceded the election. Yeah. Hillary Clinton got in her purple suit. Yeah. Okay, it's that's just the worst one to fight that on. Maybe Stacey Abrams wasn't as gracious as she should have been. Yeah. And there's a huge difference between not being gracious or feeling like it was unfair uh, or all of those things and saying the election was stolen. It was, uh, you know, the results should be overturned and all those things. Um, and then attempting to do so as Trump did. That, this, that issue. Is now, I think... Knowing what the MAGA movement now has done to our election processes and the belief in them, I say don't say any of those things I just listed. None of them. Unless you have, you can gripe about a particular issue, people getting kicked off the voter rolls. That's definitely something that happens. It's unfair. All those things. But you got to be real precise and careful with your language because we now see uh, the danger that those types of words can be used to inflict on our democracy. The Republicans own that issue of election denial. Let's fight, and, and Democrats True. have to own another crazy- And this is where kind of the Bill Maher comes in. Uh, you'll see. The shit, where, you know, a bodega guy gets attacked, and then 
He's brought up on charges because he fought back. Yeah. Go to war on that. The, this bakery in Portland that I saw won a big suit this week because they were accused of racism when they and they won, I think, $135 million from Oberlin College. Just pick out something. There's something every day that Biden could have picked out and said, and my side has gone too far on this. And yes, it wouldn't be equivalent, but the country could then, the people in the middle and the people who don't want to feel like you're just attacking my team would be like, yes, finally. And then he could not have to run again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, uh, first off, I am not familiar with the specific anecdotes he cited there, but does the left go too far? Holy smokes, yes. Um, let me discuss that more in a second, but first let me say the more important part. Uh, we should not, though, allow the bad examples of the left to be set next to the actual threat to our democracy that's being discussed, right? Now, in separate discussions, let's talk about whenever the unhinged people on the left do dumb things, okay? But when talking about what's this uh, massive universal threat that's being posed to a very important part of our country, then also citing some anecdote of a dumb, you know, liberal trying to get someone canceled or something like that, it doesn't make any sense. And it's almost like you're saying both of them. And I know he said, you can say they're not equivalent. It doesn't matter. If you're setting them next to each other, you are giving some level of legitimacy to them being equal-ish or comparable in some way. Uh, and there are always and will always be members of political movements who are just completely looney tunes. Both sides, all those things, all the time. Yes, all the time. And it's always good to call them out. But that's something that should always and will always be getting dealt with. We shouldn't have to be dealing with a movement that's trying to break down our democratic process. Because if you don't like the Democratic Party, or you don't like some people who advocate on behalf of the Democratic Party, or you don't like the way in which the left has gone, that's why we have a democracy. Um, I just want to say, because some people act like this isn't something we're all aware of, yes, it's a democratic republic. It has a democratic, you know, representation. So that's why I just in shorthand call it democracy, but continuing on. Uh, that's why we have a democracy so that people can speak up whenever they don't like particular movements or uh, individuals, whatever. Whenever you take away people's ability to do that, as Trump tried to do in staying in power after he lost, then none of those disagreements that we should be getting in as a country or the gripes we should have about different movements, different belief systems matter because you can't speak up your voice effectively because our democratic institutions have been so undermined, right? So that's why you got to discuss by itself the threat to democracy that is posed and that's the most important thing and that's why I, as someone who has plenty of disagreements with people on the left, spend so much time griping, griping, that's what we really put it, uh, speaking out against the right, because that is the lasting damage and lasting threats that's being posed to a very important part of our country, a crucial part of our country. Uh, the annoying people on Twitter, as annoying as they are, are not posing an indefinite threat to um, our country. Does that make sense? Now, to get back to the uh, kind of the energy he was trying to put forth with those anecdotes, I recognize, I've literally... I'll tweet occasionally uh, at Luke P. Beasley, support the effort, but <laughs> I can't scroll through Twitter these days, people, barely, because even people that I thought I liked on the left are so, hmm, what's a more intellectual way to say this than just dumb, are so aggravating, we'll say, okay? And it seems like, not to mention all the people on the right who scream on Twitter, I just don't get it. 
why is everyone all the time saying such aggravating things? I don't know. And there are heartbreaking stories setting aside Twitter of people who, you know, claim to be on the left, devastating people's lives based on something that is relatively small. Um, and that's not to say that every time someone's held accountable, it's cancel culture. But there are some examples of people going too far, trying to ruin people's lives, ba- lives based on things they said in the past and they've apologized for, whatever it is. Uh, and you could send tons of examples my way where I would say that is horrible, that should be dealt with, whatever. But that's not at all what we're talking about when talking about a massive threat to a democratic institution. So that's what I beg people whenever I have uh, discussions in my personal life about the left versus the right to really put in perspective. Um, and also to recognize all of the people in power on the left, all of the people in the Democratic Party, most of the examples you'll cite of crazy, unhinged people on the left are not at all associated with or themselves in power. Does that make sense? Whereas the right, their representatives, the ones who actually have their hands on power, are saying the super dangerous things that are a hundred million times more dangerous than what's being said. Okay, uh, now the only example I would cite, which is still relatively small, that is as dangerous is, as y'all have seen me debate some of these people, people on the left who promote violence towards the right. That is very, very dangerous. And that's now escalating to a new level of unhinged that is beyond what I'm talking about with generally kind of the left that I just see as uh, taking things too far sometimes or being dumb sometimes. Uh, whereas the escalation of violence stuff is completely something that should be aggressively, aggressively called out 24 seven. So that's kind of my response to Bill Maher there. Uh, I think he has a tendency to always try to act like the left and right are more equal than they actually are, even though he'll say in words, they're not the way in which he articulates things definitely makes it seem that he believes that. Uh, recently he said, listen, I mean, the things that the left are doing actually affect my life, not the right. And someone was like, well, no, the right's being where I can't sum it up perfectly, but the right's way more dangerous because blah, 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 blah. They've revoked women's rights. And it was one of the things they listed. And he said, well, I mean, I'm not going to need to get an abortion. That doesn't affect my life. Uh, but someone screaming at me on Twitter does <laughs> type attitude. And it just, he seems a little detached from the issues that matter. And I would beg people, don't just go off the annoying people online. Really think which party is working for your interests or which movement is actually trying to help you materially. And then also call out the annoying parts of that movement as I uh, try to do, even though I avoid Twitter for the purposes of not having to do that all the time. Uh, but it matters more which one's fighting for long-term change that would be good or devastating. And that's where I kind of draw the line. Jesse Waters called out uh, weak Republicans in his mind who are not fighting back against Joe Biden um, effectively. Now, I, of course, loved Joe Biden's speech. I thought some changes could have been made, but for the most part, just really, really effective and true speech he gave about the threat that MAGA poses to our democratic processes. And uh, Jesse Waters is saying the Republican Party should fight back more against that. Uh, so we'll take a look and then discuss. Biden wants to divide the Republican Party. And the 74 million Americans who voted for Trump are MAGA Republicans. Who So, no, uh, Biden made a thousand caveats saying that the whole Republican Party is not MAGA. Um, and even everyone, he didn't say this, I don't think specifically in this wording, but this is what he uh, is alluding to. Even the, the 74 million point, 74 million people, all of the ones who voted for Donald Trump aren't lovers of Trump. There is a base that is and there are other people who are like, OK, I'll vote for him. Uh, there's no cult on the left, but let's say like uh, to that extent, but let's pretend that there's a base that supports Biden. That doesn't mean that all 81 people, million people who voted for him are huge 
Biden people. A lot of people just didn't like Trump. So there's an equivalent thing where uh, the hardcore Trump supporters are one portion of the, the 70 whatever million. Uh, and then a lot of people just felt like, oh, the Democratic Party is so horrible, so I got to vote for Trump. Who don't believe in democracy. He's trying to January 6th the GOP. But what I want to know is, why aren't the Republicans fighting back? Biden raided Trump's house. The Republican Party said nothing. Of course, Biden did not raid Trump's house. That is incredibly disgusting and dishonest. And that's all Joe needed to know. He saw an opening and he's going to hammer that all year. I don't know if Republicans are still on vacation or they think if they just lay low, history is going to be on their side in the midterms. But Joe Biden's laying the wood to you guys. Ooh, uh, so I do think Biden saw an opening. Um, not in the way that Jesse Waters is outlining, but Biden definitely, maybe opening is the wrong word, but saw a moment where he's been pretty soft on Republicans relative to how he is now at most of his presidency. And something snapped. I think he started recognizing they have no interest in really significantly acting in good faith with him. Um, and also maybe he got more tuned in to the threat that is being posed to our democratic process. So I do think he saw the political landscape. He saw the political reality uh, in America and just eventually decided, I'm not doing this soft hands thing anymore. I'm going hard um, as I think he should have been doing the entire time. So uh, that's not just what Jesse Waters' point, but I do think that's what Biden did. And then to Jesse Waters' point that he's making incredibly dishonestly, uh, the Republican Party, who aren't hardcore MAGA people, do seem to have responded relatively lightly to Biden's pretty aggressive speech. And I think it's because the ones who you would consider more moderate are uh, aware of the facts that Biden is outlining. I think they actually, in their heart of hearts, agree with what Biden is saying, and they see the distinction within their party between hardcore election denier MAGA Republicans and them yeah, more establishment Republicans. And so I think one of the most effective strategies on the left should be calling out that difference and trying to break apart the Republican Party at that seam, right? Make the uh, establishment Republicans understand, if you want to call them that, or the more moderate Republicans understand the true threat that's being posed to the democratic process that we should all stand for. Uh, by the MAGA Republicans, and, and that should be called out time and time again, and try to bring away enough Republicans to take the uh, power out of the Republican Party for now. And what I always say to conservatives who are more moderate is, listen, we can continue fighting in a little bit on all the policy issues. We can continue fighting about everything. But right now, if you believe in our democracy and you understand the threats that's being posed to it, you got to set those aside for a second and, you know, unite with us on this because it doesn't matter if we want to hash it out over healthcare reform if we don't have a democratic process to do that through, right? And that is what uh, future is being kind of proposed to us by MAGA Republicans. Uh, and so it doesn't matter if you feel like conservative politics is better because that's not even what MAGA Republicans stand for anymore. Uh, they care way more. The most important lit litmus test now for MAGA Republicans is, will you deny the 2020 election results? And so uh, Jesse Waters is recognizing that Biden is kind of trying to make that uh, division start happening within the Republican Party, as we all should, because it's a real division that is there. Uh, but too many mo moderate Republicans right now are just way too quiet on this and aren't actively pushing back in the ways that they should. Um, and we can see that in examples like Liz Cheney 
Adam Kinzinger because they're such pariahs because they called out the danger of MAGA Republicans. And it should be so many more people than just those two who are prominent, um, you know, oppositions to the MAGA movement. But interesting moment there, Jesse Waters spreading his normal dishonesty, but touching on something that's a little bit real. I have just a bizarre, wild moment. What is happening to right-wing media, ladies and gentlemen? It's crazy. Uh, but before we watch it, Steve Bannon, as you know, is now, uh, has been charged with uh, defrauding donors based on his We Built the Wall campaign that he did. And he was pretending like he was going to use the money to build a wall on the southern border. But really, it was to spend on personal stuff, or at least some portion of it was, which was uh, something he was charged with by the federal government. Pardon, I'm trying to fly through this. Pardoned by Donald Trump. And then uh, now is being charged in the state of New York, which is separate from the federal um, thing. So here's him on Charlie Kirk's show after this happened responding to all of this, just completely losing his mind. It was one of the best days of my life. It was a very powerful spiritual day for me. It was uh, a lot of things were, you know, came into high clarity. It was, I was totally in the zone, as you say, in sports the entire time. And, uh, you know, they're not going to shut me up. We see it is, it, you saw from the- No one's trying to shut you up. What is happening is you committed a crime or, or allegedly committed a crime and are being held accountable for it. You defrauded people. You're being held accountable for it. No one's trying to shut you up. Demonic speech that Biden gave. Demonic in speech. Exactly. Mm. This is a dying regime. That was a primal scream. And here, what they're trying to do, no matter who it is, Donald Trump and Mar-a-Lago, there were 35 FBI raids yesterday, right? Handing out, there's another grand jury uh, coming together on January 6th. The Washington Post reported it. They just reported a couple of names. There were 35 senior members of MAGA, uh, Republicans, supporters of Donald Trump. Uh, that were roll, you know, the FBI rolled in on, right? When they didn't need to do it. Remember, all these people have lawyers. All their lawyers are very well known. No, the jackbooted Gestapo has got to show up at their door and uh, and make a big display of this. So there's so much going on that people don't even know at so many levels on yeah, uh, so, trying to put well, people in, ba in bankruptcy, trying to deplatform them. Oh yeah, all of it. And quite frankly, I think that's what's so powerful about you guys having this great reset conference because this is really what it's about. This is this globalist apparatus that's right this is the american arm of that the biden regime and what they're trying to do is shut down everybody whether it's alex jones charlie kirk steve bannon mm -hmm. tucker carlson donald trump they're trying to use lawfare financial terrorism uh le the, you know everything legally and quite frankly up to assassinations that's why they're swatting people uh like crazy so we got that's our right. work cut out for us and if we blink okay unhinged to the max pretending like there's going to be assassination attempts against MAGA Republicans, what, based on, you know, the actual official regime that he's talking about. Okay, dude. Okay. You're such a victim. You're such a hero. My goodness. Whenever he said at the beginning of the interview that it was one of the best days of his life, I believe him because he is a deep, deep narcissist who wants that attention and uh, he's getting it. He's getting it. Uh, but I think, you know, obviously it's worth it for him to get that attention if it means he's being held accountable uh, in the court of law. But uh, this this narrative that's being driven on the right, that all of these people are being political politically persecuted up to assassination because of their support of Trump is so dangerous. Because if you put in the minds of your movement that the opposition is playing part in a role, you know, uh, playing a, a part in this attempt to politically persecute all of your favorite people, and it's completely not just, then you now are going to feel 
hecka justified in doing some horrible actions against the left, against anybody you see as a part of that regime. And that's super scary because what's really happening is a bunch of the people he listed off have done illegal actions and are being held accountable for it. And that's what we would hope would happen in a healthy country. And so him uh, peddling this narrative and the fact that people believe it is wild because just look into what he did. It's out for you to see, especially uh, with the federal investigation that was already done. The state one is, um, you know, he just got charged with those things, but he just defrauded you guys. Conservatives donated to Steve Bannon saying, oh, I want to build that wall. Hooray. And then Steve Bannon used that and his uh, partners on personal stuff enriched themselves based on donations you gave to them thinking it was going towards the wall. Stop being grifted on people. And then he's quadruple grifting you because he's going to use the fact that he's being held accountable for grifting you <laughs> in an illegal fashion to raise more money you already know, get more support, more uh, people watching his show and donating to it, all those things so that he can get out of whatever he's being persecuted through, right? And so then he's getting even more out of you guys based on a complete lie. Stop it. Trump did the exact same thing. It's so sad to watch. And I don't even, I'm, I'm having a harder and harder time feeling empathetic towards people who are getting scammed by these individuals because they've done it time and time again. Trump raised all that money saying he was going to fight the election, uh, election results in the fine print. He's like, nah, I don't actually have to use it for that. I can use it for whatever I want. And, uh, People still donated. They still got scammed. They don't care. They're going to keep donating. This whole investigation, Trump's going to raise tons of money off of it. The FBI raid, all those things. Same thing with Steve Bannon. And y'all will just keep getting backhanded across the face. I'm talking to the people who are being scammed uh, and say nothing about it and love them even more. And I don't get it at all. It makes no sense to me. But uh, I don't know. Please stop believing these lies. Steve Bannon there spreading even more dangerous information, false information about the real reason why he's being uh, charged with these crimes. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. I will see you tomorrow.